you will please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. The last book in the New Testament, the last book in our Bibles. And as you're turning there, let me just make mention that this week, this Wednesday night, we'll be starting up our Wednesday night foundations program. Uh, I have found this just to be a very enjoyable, refreshing time to connect with many of you. There's something for the whole family. There's discipleship for children, for youth, for adults. And if you've come on Wednesday nights before, you may have noticed that it's exciting and loud in the fellowship hall. And so our deacons and John Chisholm have done a great job of getting some dampening in there with the sound, and so you can talk to each other now. So, and go check it out. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, we're beginning uh, our, our new sermon series this year on Jesus' message to his church. And this morning we will study verses 1 through 3, the prologue here written by the Apostle John. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to his church. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's pray. Father, there are so many things in in your word, and indeed the book of Revelation, which need to be spiritually discerned. And so by your Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you instruct us, would you show us the way that we should go? We pray this in Christ's name, amen. When I was around 13 years old, I attended a conference in Jackson, Mississippi, a youth conference for teenagers called Pack Your Bags, Jesus is Coming. So that just kind of describes to you my whole youth growing up in the church there. (laughs) The aim of this this conference for youth was to scare teenagers (laughs) into belief by filling our minds with these fantastical stories about current events and things going on in the world and linking them to the book of Revelation. They would say things like, if you don't believe these things and show us news clips, then you might get left behind. At this conference, I heard talk of angels and demons, lambs and horses and loud trumpets, Russian tanks, Middle Eastern crises, a secret rapture, monsters coming out of the seas with ten horns and seven heads, and dragons, and yes, they talked about climate change. And we were told that you better make a decision to follow Jesus because you don't want to miss the rapture. You don't want to be talking to your friend one day and then, poof, be sucked up to heaven. This idea that you could be taken away into heaven at any moment without anybody knowing. Quite frankly, this conference scared me. (laughs) It scared many of us. Later, I learned that there were many unbiblical ideas being propounded at this 
conference to scare me and other teenagers. I was actually scared that Jesus might come back, which is odd. We, we want Jesus to come back. That's a good thing. I was scared of being left behind. I was scared that the current events going on in the world would lead to the destruction of all things and that I was going to be left here suffering. But then I actually read the book of Revelation for myself. And with the help of some solid biblical help, I found that this word from God was not something to be scared of. But it was a word of God that is to be a blessing to those who read it and to those who hear it. And most importantly, this book is a blessing to see the one whom this book is about. The Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler of the world, the king of heaven, the Lord of heaven and earth. And if you hear nothing else this morning, if you hear nothing else from me, Hear this, that the book of Revelation, it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this message, and indeed the entire book of the Bible, is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that that He rules, that He reigns, that He loves His church, and He loves His people. That He has sovereign control over this world. That He has conquered sin and death. That he has defeated Satan, the great beast that the Bible talks about. That he is the one who has promised that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And there shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is what the Lord Jesus promised. The book of Revelation is about our wonderful, merciful Savior and King, Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, who became a man, who walked the earth for some 33 years and who died on a cross for our sins. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping Loving, He is with us to the end. That is what the book of Revelation is about. And so as we come to the opening of this letter, these first three verses, which are called the the prologue, these verses will actually give us an outline for what the entire book of Revelation is about and what Jesus has to say to His church. And so this morning, I want us to look at three parts that this prologue kind of outlines for us. The first is Revelation is an apocalypse. We're going to talk about what that means. Second, Revelation is a letter of encouragement to Christians in the face of persecution. And thirdly, the book of Revelation's purpose is to point us to Jesus. So we'll talk more about that. First, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. So what do you think of when you immediately hear that word apocalypse? You know, either some, I guess, heavy metal band or the end of the world, or something like that. But in the Greek New Testament here, in John's Revelation, the very first word that we would see here is the word apocalypsis, which tells us that this book is an apocalypse, or modernly we translate this word revelation. We typically don't refer to the book of Revelation as the apocalypse, but that's what it is. And as an apocalypse, it's a 
a heightened form of prophecy. It's kind of tense. It's, it's fast moving. There's a lot of action. It's an unveiling of something that otherwise would have remained hidden. It's a revelation. And so the purpose of revelation, John tells us, is to show the readers, us, the church, what must soon take place. So the book of Revelation is eschatological in its focus. And maybe that's a new word to you, eschatology. And that's a word for the study of the last things or the end times. But more importantly, when we talk about biblical eschatology, what we're speaking of is the unveiling of God's sovereign plan for the world, but especially His church, His people, what God is doing in this world, where it's all going. And so this book of prophecy is what Revelation is, in the same vein with much like the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets would come to the people of God and they would address the circumstances and the situations of God's people today and they would preach, this is what God says and this is what you are to do. Only secondarily would they also talk about the future events and make predictions, if you will, and Revelation does that to some extent. So Revelation is apocalyptic prophecy. Examples of this type of literature, the genre in which the book of Revelation is, would be some passages and some uh, chapters in the book of Daniel and also Ezekiel. Most importantly, if you want to do some extra reading, which what I would encourage you to go and do, read Daniel chapter 2. And here in Daniel chapter 2, you will hear a a prophecy that Daniel interprets for Nebuchadnezzar. And John is showing us in Revelation how the prophecy of of Daniel chapter 2 is being fulfilled during the time of John's readers. And so to understand the type of genre that this book is helps us tremendously when we start reading it, interpreting what it says. Because none of us are very familiar with apocalyptic literature. You probably didn't read that this morning on the way to church. It's probably not on your reading list even for this week. But knowing what kind of literature is, it helps us kind of to understand it, much like you've heard me say from the pulpit here before how much I love the Chronicles of Narnia or J.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings. So if you don't understand that that is fantasy literature before you go and read it, you're going to pick it up and see you know, talking lions and beavers and orcs, and you're going to go, that's just silly, and put it away. (laughs) But if you understand it for what it is, that it's fantasy and allegorical literature, that where animals do talk and behave rationally, then you might become interested in it to see what it's about. And so Revelation, being apocalyptic literature, it uses, heavily uses, symbolism. And so when you read the book, you'll see a lot of symbolism about numbers and, yes, even animals and the like. Literally, earth-shaking, cataclysmic events going on that need to be interpreted very carefully in light of what the other scriptures say about these things. And so when we hear the word apocalypse, 
And we think of the book of Revelation, and we don't need to automatically think of doomsday theories and, and worldwide catastrophes and the like. We don't think, need to think of an apocalypse in terms of the world falling apart and climate change finally getting the best of us. But rather, what we think of is a sovereign, almighty, loving God breaking into real time and history in a very dramatic and powerful way to accomplish his sovereign plans. That is what John speaks about when he speaks of Revelation as an apocalypse, the things that must soon take place. This is God's given vision to his servants to show them the things that must soon take place and to encourage them. That's the second thing that we want to look at about this book of Revelation, that it's actually a letter. It was a letter of encouragement to Christians in the face of persecution. So very important to keep that in mind. This was written by the Apostle John as a letter to the church. And if we don't think about that, then when we, when we read the book of Revelation, then it won't make any sense. Because there were real people in real churches uh, having real life problems reading this book or hearing it read aloud for the first time. And so it had meaning that was relevant to them, especially relevant to them as a local church congregation. But certainly it would have been relevant to the church at large that would have been hearing this letter read. This word to the seven churches that we'll study more in depth next week actually shows us that there was this path kind of laid out that a messenger of the ancient world would travel to somewhat uh, get this letter disseminated to all of the churches. So one of the things we'll study later is the word seven means whole or complete. So this was written to seven churches that would kind of trace the circular path, if you will, in kind of the ancient world of Asia Minor. And so it would have been a very effective way to make sure this letter was disseminated to what the worldwide church would have been at this time. No, he didn't make it to America. That would have been too far at this time. But as this letter had a contemporary audience, most scholars believe it was written around 95 A.D., And so when it speaks to the things that must soon take place, you and I reading it today, 2018, need to realize that soon means one thing to us, and it would have been mean another thing to someone reading it or hearing it read in the first century. So we need to keep that in mind. The reason to keep this, this is important to keep this in mind, is because unfortunately, Revelation gets reinterpreted every, every generation in a very difficult way. Uh, that's why the Nazis and the Soviets and ISIS can be, mist- can be the great persecutors of our age or of the ages past. But for the first century Christians, when they were told that tribulation and persecution was coming and then an antichrist would come and, and do this to them to persecute them, To them, it would have been the evil Roman Empire that wanted to seek out and kill Christians. And so the context and the original audience is important to keep in mind when we're interpreting the Scriptures. 
when John says what soon must take place, what does that mean and who is he talking to? That's what we're going to study and apply back then, but certainly today as well. So why was this letter written in this way to these people? Why use apocalyptic literature? Why use symbolism so heavily? Why, why write in such this way? Well, again, this type of literature wouldn't have been unfamiliar to the early Christians and certainly to the, the Jews who converted to Christianity. But it was written in this way to inspire hope to the believers in the face of persecution. This is real hard for us to understand in America. Many of us have not faced intense persecution for our faith and for our belief. Many of us have not had anyone uh, killed because they trusted in, in Jesus Christ. We don't know anyone like that. We hear stories. But for these first few centuries, we need to remember that Christians in the ancient world were intensely persecuted for their faith. John himself was was banished to the island of Patmos where he wrote this letter because he was being persecuted. The early church was was very young and, and very fragile at this time. Jesus had a Sent into heaven just a few decades before, and so they were struggling with what their place was in their world and what Jesus wanted them to do. And so this letter would have been the Lord Jesus' encouragement to his people that he is sovereign over their lives, that he is sovereign over the events of the world and the things that must soon take place. And so what the people of the church needed to hear was that they had a Savior who was alive and well and who was going to keep his promise to come again and to rule and to reign and to make all things new. That would have been a great encouragement to these first century believers. But this letter is important to us today to read and to study and to apply to to our day as when you look at the news, that you are seeing that Christians are facing more and more pressure here in America, especially for our views on marriage and other stances of morality. Already around the world, Christians are being intensely persecuted and hunted down and humiliated. And we need to pray for these brothers and sisters. But we need to remember our orthodox views, our beliefs in the scriptures and what they teach, they're not popular. And we need to look to a Savior who calls us to hear and to obey and to follow him faithfully, even in the face of persecution and trouble. But lastly, I think the most important thing we must think about when it comes to the book of Revelation is to remember that it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I grew up with some very bad theology, some very bad teaching about Revelation and the end times, and it was all about fantastical events and crazy uh, 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 things that are going to take place in the world, and the focus was totally off of Jesus. Jesus. 
And that's what this book is about. It's meant to cause us to look to Jesus, to, to have a vision, a thought, a mentality about the Lord Jesus who rules and reigns over this world and over his church. But not only is Jesus the ruler over this world and over his church, but he is in the midst of his church. We'll see that later in the chapter. He's trying to show his people that I am with you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am standing in the midst of you, and I am working. I am with you. He is promising his people. But the ultimate aim of this entire book is really summed up at the end, Revelation chapter 22, where Jesus has promised that he will return. And that he will make all things new. There will be a, a new heavens and a new earth. And all will be heaven and glorious. Revelation is designed to humble us. To look to Jesus in his majesty, power, authority, sovereignty as the one who is. The one who was, the one who is to come. The Lord of all. In a world where everything, everything is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ruler of all. He is sovereign over all. Abraham Kuyper said, There is not a single inch of the whole terrain of our human existence on which Christ does not proclaim mine. All is his. We belong to him. As a church, we are in his hand, and that's what Revelation is about. Jesus is sovereign over history. He is sovereign over his church. He is sovereign over even your life. He is the one who is worthy. He is the one who reigns. He is even the one who will come and wipe away every tear from the eyes of his saints. You know, we all love fairy tales, don't we? We all love happily ever afters. We love superhero movies in our house. Why is that? It's because these stories of salvation, these stories of redemption, our, our hearts are designed to be drawn to them, to love these, these good endings and these reminders that everything is going to be okay and the good guys are going to win. Bad guys will not prevail. That's what Revelation is about. The Lamb wins. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Jesus reigns. He is going to redeem his people from all their sin and sorrow. He is the one who's going to save his church, and he has by the victory he has won on the cross. That's why Revelation is the gospel, it's the good news. That Jesus reigns, that He's coming again. This message, it, it's not a pack. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a call to pack your bags because Jesus is coming. We we know that. We want Him to come, but it is a clarion call to not only anticipate the return of our King, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready for persecution and danger and nakedness, and sword. Because there is an evil world, there is a devil who wants to destroy God's people. And if and since this is happening and is going to happen, 
It's all the more urgent that we obey Jesus' teaching, that we obey his commands, that we may be able to stand in the day of trouble. Even though the Bible says we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, we are more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, he says. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. But as we wait, as we wait, as we stand as watchmen, we think about Jesus. And we think about him in, a, in something that he has given us that is very uniquely Christian. Something that we do this morning as the called out ones, as we engage each other and encourage each other to wait, as we prepare for his coming, we take this supper together, this reminder, this picture of the gospel in front of us, that Jesus has come, that he has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so may God help us to look to Jesus and await his coming. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for this good news. That Jesus rules, that he reigns, that he has conquered sin and death, and that he is coming again. This is not something, O oh Lord, to be scared of. This is something we long for. That promise when Jesus says he will not eat of this meal again until he has it anew with us in heaven. The new heavens and the new earth, the restoration of all things. No more sin, no more sorrow. We praise you and thank you for that hope. Lord, as we wait, help us to be faithful. Lord, find us faithful hear and obey and to follow your truth. Thank you for your spirit that helps us. In, his, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.